Welcome to Necessary Illusions. I am your host, MC Squared. On this episode of the podcast, I interview Dorit, Chef Dorit, of The Uncooking Show. She's also an author and a wellness coach who's been trained in the art of mindfulness and meditation. We have a great discussion on life, philosophy, and the universe. I hope you enjoy the show. Solidarity forever. Thank you very much, MC. Much appreciated. So it's a pleasure. I was listening to your podcast with Josh. He was actually the first person I ever did a podcast with maybe two or so years ago. And then I think he was my first or second guest uh, on here. So I listened to to your talk. I found it pretty interesting. Um, you know, how do you know Josh? Did you just connect on the, on the inter- internet? Do you have any more plans to do his podcast again? I really like Josh a lot. I yes connected with him on Twitter and I was really moved by the fact that he had a whole different view of himself in the world than most people have been taught to do and I thought it was really refreshing and I do like um, a lot of everything that I've read from him so far or heard him I've heard some of his podcasts and liked it a lot as well. He was the one that recommended I reach out and get you on the pod. So I'm into philosophy, and it sounds like you guys uh, were into you know into the weeds with you know philosophical understanding of reality, um, you know the the past, present, future, mind, body problem, all kinds of stuff, consciousness. Uh, I remember I think early on in the podcast you had a little talk and anecdote about like trees. So you've um, studied some uh, you studied with some famous. Um, well, I guess uh, I guess a doctor um, uh, Deepak Chopra, uh, and then also um, Titnan Han. <laughs> so you've, you've some pretty big people into kind of um, what would you what would you say their disciplines are? Um, I guess like Eastern philosophy, mindfulness, meditation, all of the above. Um, you know, what, what, what do you think? Uh, I guess your background, your influences. Maybe you can just kind of talk about it a little bit. I found, uh, you know, again, your discussion very interesting, and I loved your, um, your, you know, kind of just walking and talking about, you know, how trees and how they, you know, are always a place of um, maybe uh, comfort, and maybe the trees and kind of they can hear your thoughts. Uh, are trees conscious? I was kind of thinking that as I was listening to your to you guys talk about it. So maybe you can talk about maybe your background a little bit. I've dabbled in some Eastern philosophy, but I'm mainly focused on the Western stuff. But I'm, yeah, I'm kind of fascinated about your worldview, your philosophies, and your training. Yes, uh, MC. 
consciousness is what really, for me, is most important in my life, to be fully conscious. When I say conscious, I don't mean just physically conscious, but I mean on all levels. And so I'm, I'm constantly challenging myself to become more and more conscious. And so that's how I think I manifested studying with Titnet Han. I, it wasn't my intention. I had studied a lot of his work before I actually started studying with him. And I was really, truly, incredibly joy, joyous and joyful to study with him because his focus is on mindfulness and most people, when they speak about or they teach or they themselves enter into the mindfulness field, they tend to be very serious, where his was a hint of joy, of tremendous release and freedom from anything that was constrictive. And I really, really like that about him. He was the one who he sent us on, those of us who were studying with him, he sent us to have uh, to, for lunch, and of course that's in silence and in mindfulness. And I was always very, very conscious of trees, and I saw them always as my comfort zone and my best friends, and where I go for any kind of re- need. When I feel in need, that's where I usually go: is a tree, to a tree, or to a forest. And he was the one who said, "On your way to eat." There were a lot of trees there, by the way. And he said, you will be passing the trees. And as you pass the trees, and these were gorgeous trees. This was in San Diego, the University of San Diego, of California in San Diego. And he said, just be aware as you pass the trees, that trees are always and often eavesdropping on our thoughts. The thought that you're having as you're passing them, is that what you really want them to hear? I just absolutely, it brought me up to to a place of consciousness that I had never experienced before. And so I was just thrilled. I was in bliss. And I really, in, since then, every, I have trees outside my where I live because I, I cannot live without trees and I've lived in the desert. I've been in deserts and I think deserts can be very beautiful, but I have to run very quickly back to trees. And so I really am very conscious that they're eavesdropping on my thoughts and I communicate with them on a regular basis because I think they're always communicating with us. And they are the they are actually what leads me into the work that I do, which is eating seasonally and living seasonally. Because they show us the path and how to do that, and they're very seasonal. Are you out in uh, California, or you said the desert? I was thinking Arizona. Right now I'm in California, yes, yes. So I've I've done some stuff, uh, again, philosophical studies, thinking, thought, um, experiments, consciousness. what is it? Do you think that uh, just human beings uh, are conscious? Do you think inanimate objects, let's say the, sh- the shoe on the ground over there to my left, or the rock outside in my driveway, the trees, the grass, uh, maybe the animals, the birds, uh, fish, you know, maybe more advanced animals like, you know, dolphins, octopus, octopi, uh, you know, what, what do you think about consciousness? Is everything conscious? Is 
Is only human beings conscious? Is the universe conscious? What do you think about those things? Everything you mentioned to me is conscious, except for the shoe. <laughs> the shoe was the only one that doesn't, in my own experience, doesn't have the degree of consciousness that all the others have. And you were asking me about the degree of consciousness. So I think that goes and comes. It's like everything in life. And is the universe conscious? Oh, my gosh, yes. I think that is the universe. The consciousness is, is the universe. And when we actually align ourselves with consciousness, we then align ourselves with the universe. Now, what do I mean by consciousness? So if somebody suddenly faints, you know, we, the first thing we ask is, is this person conscious? Is he conscious? And will the doctor or us or a nurse or somebody from the EMS will say, is lost consciousness? So the question is, have we really lost consciousness even when we're in a coma? Because people who are in a coma actually remember and hear a lot of things that happen while they're in the coma. So I think our own perception of consciousness is very limited. And so I find it interesting that uh, the degree of consciousness has a lot to do with how we eat. And if we're living according to the laws of nature. So, for example, what do I mean by living according to the laws of nature? There's a certain consciousness on earth, in the earth, in the earth, why a tree would actually shed all of its leaves and then go into a barren state during what we call winter. And almost looked like it's dying. And yet then it knows when it's springtime because it then all of a sudden just it totally clothes itself with the most stunning, beautiful raiments of, you know, just like clothing for it. To me, leaves are clothing, blossoms are clothing. And that's what it clothes itself with. And then we know when, when summer's here because it lets go of the springtime clothing, raiments, and then it takes on the leaves of summer, which are it's perfect for summer because it gives shelter and it helps to create a, a certain degree of coolness, which we need during the summer. So I think that's a huge amount of consciousness. And that's why I use them as really my own they're not just a comfort zone for me, but they're my mentors. And birds too. Birds are also my mentors. Birds also live seasonally. If you look, you'll see all animals live seasonally. We are human beings and animal, in my own opinion. And we're the only ones who have attempted to live unconsciously. And I think that is the real reason for many of our ills, aches, pains, discomfort, and also the feeling that we don't belong. Do you feel like you can communicate um, with, I want to go back to kind of your discussion with Josh a little bit. So you feel like you can communicate with trees. You can feel them. You can maybe know if they think. You can know their thoughts. Uh, and then what about like other animals and maybe beings that are different than us, but certainly living. And I think they're conscious too. I think animals are certainly, but that's, you know, my belief too. I think maybe other people feel differently, but yeah, I don't know about trees. Uh, 
I'm not so sure they're conscious, and I'm not even sure what consciousness is exactly. Um, but I have been reading some Carl Jung, uh, and he has kind of discussions and some writings on the subconscious, things that we don't even maybe know or maybe aren't aware of, you know, th- thought processes, maybe symbolism, dreams, uh, maybe you're in a coma, um, you know, maybe you're under anesthesia, um, you know, maybe you're just kind of thinking and something that, you know, you can't quite articulate. Like sometimes I have a feeling, you know, if I'm somewhere or meet someone or something along those lines, maybe even like deja vu or, you know, something where you can't like quite articulate, you know something, but you can't maybe quite explain it. Uh, I feel like that all the time. Uh, But yeah, I find the subconscious fascinating. You know, sometimes maybe I think in numbers, uh, colors, symbols, pictures, all that kind of stuff. So let's go back a little bit more to consciousness. So you think everything is conscious, at least living things like, you know, trees and animals. Do you think you can communicate with them? They know your thoughts. Do you know theirs? Do they have thoughts? And um, what do you think about the subconscious? Uh, Again, Carl Jung kind of talked about it a little bit. Um, Thought processes that maybe um, you aren't aware of. Maybe thoughts and ideas that you have, but they never come to conscious awareness. You know, maybe they're deep buried uh, within you, you know, maybe in the brainstem or some of the older um, parts of our brain, some of the maybe, you know, uh, below um, the cortical, um, the cortex and that kind of stuff. Yes, uh, MC, I do agree with you um, a lot, what you just said. And consciousness to me is awareness. That's all it means. It means awareness. So am I conscious of a tree? It means I'm aware of the tree. Um, now, there is an incredible book, the, the Secret Life of Plants, that I highly recommend. And there's another book about the life of trees where scientists have gone and they've not, noticed that if a tree falls in, in, in the forest, and a lot of trees around the world have been studied, they've noticed this, when they supposedly die, the other trees nearby will either assist them or they will take on the life of that other tree. And you'll find that if, a, if you have a tree stump, all of a sudden life begins to come out of it. So does the tree really die or not? Or was it just transforming herself? Now, to me, that's what death is. Death is, you know, we're all energy beings. The tree's an energy. You're an energy. So am I. And energy doesn't die. Ever. It simply transforms itself, which means every living thing, therefore then, has a certain degree of awareness and has the ability to transform itself. So that's why I'm not afraid of death, and I have faced death three times in my life. And I'm not afraid of it because I know it's just another form of consciousness that I'll be entering. And so with the trees, they communicate with each other. They, the, all the studies have shown that they literally, trees communicate with each other, as do birds. Birds communicate with each other all the time. How is it that a flock of birds can fly all the way from Canada to Mexico, or butterflies do that every year? They know exactly where to go. They're not, none of them go a different path, and so they get lost. They all go the same path. They land at the same time. And all these monarch butterflies that fly to Mexico, they go to the same place every year. And you know, it, it's quite amazing uh, the level of the degree of consciousness that they show us that we're able to really access. And you were asking about, you know, certain thoughts. 
I think most of our thoughts are not our own at all because we are constantly bombarded with entertainment and TV and films and radio and each other. And we're listening to other people's thoughts and then we make them our own without questioning them at all. And most of our thoughts are not our own because we have a lot of ancestral stuff that we've inherited. So, for example, a lot, one of the things that I focus on in my work with my clients is trauma-induced eating. Most of us eat out of trauma. Most eating styles are trauma-induced. And we often take on the, trauma, the unresolved traumas of our ancestors, whether it's our parents or grandparents, great-grandparents. And then we realize that we have these thoughts and these feelings and we don't feel comfortable with them. And we don't even know what our own are because they're so strong. And we don't e- we're not even aware that they're not even our own. So a lot of us use the same vocabulary all the time. I studied linguistics and I got a degree in linguistics because I thought our language betrays us all the time. Because, you know, we often take on the language of other the people in our own families. You'll see that families tend to have a certain language that they continue and then... Somebody comes along in the family that we call the black sheep of the family and takes in a whole different language pattern and behavior pattern, and they no longer fit into the family. And I think this is true for the family of nations as well. On, on every level, in every community, we're just family and we're just uh, all different members of the family take on certain things from the communities, not just from our ancestors from the community in which we grew up. That's why I think travel is so important. I think travel is critical to really finding our own voice and experiences. And I think pain is necessary because pain allows us to go deep within if we listen to the call and really find out who we truly are. Where do you think ideas come from? I've thought about this a lot. I'm trying to write a book. I just don't have the time. I'm, I know I'm going to put it together at some point in my life, but that's one of my core uh, thoughts, questions. Where do ideas come from? Can matter think? I love that question. Can matter think? I mean, are we just uh, highly organized matter? Um, or uh, maybe Descartes, Rene Descartes in the Western philosophical tradition, the mind-body problem. Uh, is there a difference between mind, you know, uh, I guess the, the consciousness, the awareness, the thinking, the thoughts, and body, you know, maybe the universe, the planets, gravity, our bodies, our hands, our toes, you know, the difference between mind and body. Um, you know, I think if we're just organized matter, then... Um, you know, that's, that's what consciousness is. It's just, you know, kind of our brains, you know, it's in our, it's in our, um, interconnected, um, you know, lobes and regions of the brain. That's what thinking is. So, uh, I'll I'll ask those questions to you. Where do ideas come from? Can matter think? Excellent question. I'm glad you brought up René Descartes and I studied the French philosophers because I, I mean, literally I studied them. I took got a degree in French literature, because that's exactly why, and not to mention, you know, the real vanguards like Paul Camus, Jean-Paul Sartre, you know, people like this who were the existentialists, I thought that was really important to study. And what I've I've noticed as well, you, uh, you ask a question which I think is extremely important, 
And I believe very strongly because in my work, I've seen it with myself and with others and almost dying three times. I think we are our biology. So our biology dictates how we feel, what we do, when we do. And if, you know, if somebody doesn't believe it, all they have to do is eat something and then see how they feel afterwards. If you eat a piece of fruit, let's say it's, the weather is very hot and then you eat and then you're very irritable and then you eat a, a piece of watermelon and then all of a sudden you're not irritable anymore. Or you've got a lot of toxicity that has been lodged in your body from all the different things that you've eaten that the body has not digested, especially the lymph glands. I think the lymph glands hold the key, not the brain, because it doesn't matter. The brain to me is also in the gut. That's another part of that's another brain. I think we have dissected our bodies into different bits and pieces, and we don't realize it's all the same thing. The enteric nervous system, that's kind of, uh, I think it's an, a completely autonomous nervous system that operates without the brain that can control kind of our gut and our, um, you know, I guess our digestive uh, system. And not really much is known about it, but it's it's a neurological system that's highly sophisticated, uh, but, you know, in the gut, <laughs> essentially, and, uh, you know, operates pretty much without any input from the brain. It's fascinating. I don't think we really know much about it. I've tried to read some stuff uh, into the neuroscience literature and whatnot, but I haven't really found too much interesting information or explanations about it or what it does exactly. I agree, uh, MC. I think we ought to be taught about the vagus nerve in schools because the vagus nerve actually controls our digestion. Yeah. And, yeah. and there's just so much that we just seem to have either pretended doesn't exist or yeah. we have... Uh, allowed our own ignorance of who we truly are, which I think we're magnificent creatures, not just of consciousness, but of the potential that we have is unbelievable. I mean, the first time I, I when I lived in uh, Montreal, I remember seeing Cirque du Soleil on the streets and the things that they were doing. I, I was a former dancer. I was a dancer still in Montreal. And I was absolutely stunned what they could do. And then when Sankai Juku came to Ottawa um, and they, I saw them before I even heard them. And it was just unbelievable to think they were scaling a building and it was just incredible what they were doing. And I realized, you know, even as a dancer, I've put limitations on my own self and on my own body. And I was really shocked when I saw that. And it's it's interesting because we are our biology. I really think so. I see that for my own self. I see that for others. And I see that the way we feel has everything to do with the way we eat, with the way we drink. So many people are dehydrated and they don't realize that they were hydrated. They would think differently. They would feel differently. Their whole sense of self and of self-worth would be changed if they were fully hydrated. Dehydration, I think, is one of the biggest problems that blocks consciousness. And most of us are dehydrated. And we are also lacking in oxygen. I think we need that constant exchange of energy with other matter and with other forms of energy. 
And oxygen is one of them. Do you know that cancer cannot exist in the presence of oxygen? So if somebody's experiencing cancer, it means that they don't have enough oxygen in their body. They should be outdoors running and jumping and dancing and doing, you know, maybe go to the ocean and get some of those negative ions as much as possible. And yet we don't tell them to do that. What we do is we cut, slash, and burn, which is not going to get them any better. It might make them feel better, which will, which also will contribute a lot to, to, to them improving, their health improving if they feel better about themselves. But at the same time, it doesn't really address the fact that we are conscious beings and that our consciousness is in our liver. If you're cutting the liver out because, you know, you're experiencing a tumor there, you're letting go of a main part of your consciousness and the liver takes care of anger. And so, you know, if you're cutting out your gallbladder, that's another level of consciousness that you just let go of. And do you know that the body, very? it's been shown that people who eat a raw plant-based diet actually regrow sometimes their thyroid, things that have been taken out, like their thyroid or parts of their intestines or other organs that have been removed. That's consciousness. It all depends on the level of consciousness, whether you can or not. So if somebody's in deep pain, I'm talking about physical pain, what we're taught to do is to suppress it. But pain is a different degree of consciousness. It's a very high level of consciousness, but it's simply calling our attention to the fact that there is an issue here. There's a problem that needs to be taken care of. And I don't think we get pain just willy-nilly. First, the body whispers to us. Our biology gives us a, a, a little whisper. And some of us will pay attention to it if we're very attuned to our bodies and we live within our bodies. Most of us do not live in our biology. Or, you know, sometimes we don't listen all the way. Maybe we listen a little bit, but we don't listen all the way. And then some, and then it will go into a loud whisper. And then finally it yells and screams at us. And so when we're in pain, all we have to do is start listening to the pain and making friends with it. It might seem ridiculous that I'm saying making friends with it, but if you go into the area of the pain and you deep breathe and you just amplify it, amplify the pain and accept it, guess what? I've done this with, so, with my own self and I've done this with so many of my clients. All of a sudden you forget about the pain and all of a sudden, there is no pain. Now, it takes practice. It doesn't happen overnight. Some people, it does happen overnight. And that's why I studied with Titnet Han. I studied mindfulness because that has everything to do with mindfulness. I studied and taught for Deepak Chopra because, again, he is also about a lot about consciousness and about uh, our biology, too, and how our biology does, in many ways, affect who we are in life. Uh, a lot, lot there. So I've, I've written down all, all kinds of stuff. I want to go in a lot of different directions here. Um, I do want to talk maybe some linguistics. We can get to that. One of my favorite philosophers, Noam Chomsky, I think he's called the father, father of modern linguistics. He has a theory of the language acquisition device. So it's essentially our in our DNA, our genetic coding, 
our programming, we have the ability to um, understand, pick out language from the environment, speak it. You know, it doesn't really take much effort. Kids do it naturally. Uh, maybe we can talk about a little bit more linguistic stuff. I want to go back to the consciousness. Is the universe a conscious mind? I've read a, I think it was a paper or an article about that. Uh, I found it kind of compelling uh, how we're all kind of interconnected. Maybe we're just in one large, uh, magnificent conscious mind, some you know kind of organism. Uh, I think that that is absolutely possible, that we're just part of this enormous organism that we can't even sense the greatness of it, you know, the size of the universe. Um, but what do you think about that? Uh, what do you think about the universe? What is it? Where did it come from? Was it created? Uh, will it be here forever? Does it have a beginning and an end? And, in, and is it a conscious mind? What do you think about all those things? That's a lot of questions there. Um, but yeah, maybe let's go back to the universe. Um, we're just a part of it. What do you think the universe is? And um, how did it get here? Because I did love linguistics and studied it and studied the, you know, the importance of language in our lives, might surprise you that I don't think that the universe is a conscious mind. I think it is a conscious body. Remember I was talking about our biology and how important it is. I mean, everything on earth is actually <laughs> a body, a body of water. We've got, you know, the trees, the forest. I mean, everything is biological. There is nothing that's just a mind. And I th that's why I think our biology dictates everything. And so when we go against our biology, that's where we get into problems and into a lot of torture for self-torture. And once we start living with our biology, it's quite amazing how we start opening up and be aware of the biology of plants, of other animals, of other beings. And all of a sudden we begin to realize we are the same. There's no difference. It's just a different manifestation of it. So you asked a very important question, I think, which I'm still asking, which would I which I don't think is that important, but I know for people it is. And is when did it start? And was there a beginning and is there an end? Excellent questions. And that's why um, I studied the existentialists and I studied Rousseau, Jean-Jacques Rousseau yeah. and a lot of the French philosophers, because they're talking about nature and whatnot. But whether or not there, you know, there's a beginning or an end, I don't think that there is a beginning or an end because, as I said before, it's all about energy, and energy never dies. It just keeps renewing itself and transforming itself. So you think the universe has been around forever? You don't, you don't find... Uh... You don't think that there is a beginning and an end? Uh, you don't think that it's going to cease to exist, but it will always be here? What about the multiverse theory? Maybe we're just uh, one universe in a bubble or a grouping of, you know, infinite universes. Do those, do those questions interest you at all? I think that is, I, I don't, the word forever, I never think in those terms. I think it's infinite. Mm-hmm. It's infinite. And I think once it's infinite, then it goes way and beyond what our own perceptions are at the moment. I think we're only allowed to be aware of, of have a certain level of consciousness in life. And it's, it's almost like a game. And if you think of it, when children come in, if I, I study children a lot, especially babies, and they love to play. And in playing and in playing all these games, I 
to me, they represent the universe. That's exactly what the universe is doing with us, playing. We're, we're playing with ourselves. So what I find really interesting is that we ourselves are microorganisms of the universe. So we've got all of these things that live in us and live outside of us. We've got parasites, mold, fungus. We've got so many different things that live on us and need us for their own lives as well. Of course, there's some of them that are very beneficial and there are some of them that are very harmful and even lethal. If you've got a tapeworm inside of you, you'll be in a lot of pain and uh, my gosh, will you be ever sick? And so it's like we're a, a microorganism of the universe. So to me, that's why I said that Everything is biological. I think it's in our biology that we understand the universe. So everything is living off of the other. And, and it, nothing is separate. And everything, everyone needs the other and everyone needs everything else. But only to a certain degree. And when it goes over a certain stage or level, then that's where the problems come in. So I think homeostasis is really where we have lost our way, that we just need to find homeostasis. And it's interesting because that's happening to the soil as well. You know, we've put radon in the soil, we've put DDT in the soil, now we're putting genetically modified organisms in the soil, and that has changed our food supply tremendously. And the degree of toxicity when people eat these foods that come from that soil is tremendous. And so, again, it's because... There's no homeostasis in the soil. Same exact thing as in our bodies. And everything just keeps replicating the same story over and over, and we're not listening. What about uh, religion, the idea of God, spirituality? Um, what do you think about those things? Um, do you think there is a God? Do you have a religion? Um, is the idea of God even... Uh, intelligible, or is it something that maybe we can't even quite understand? I think this need to have a higher being or a being that commands everything or is in charge is the same as the need to blame. You seem to have a need to blame. Yeah. And so it's not taking responsibility for our own selves when we, when we start creating gods. So I think we're enormously magnificent creatures i think we are enormously powerful our powers are limitless it's infinite again just like the universe it's infinite i think everything is infinite and we've lost simply our own perception of our own magnificence and that's all that there is it's interesting because i study a lot i didn't go there to study and i would have loved to and i think if 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 i'd manifested as a male i would although now they do have females there but the work of the Shaolin Temple in China, I love what the Shaolin Temple uh, does with, you know, the people who go there to learn. And what I see from them is that there's just no limitations. It's like you test your limitations. Everything we've been thought, we've been taught, and every thought that we have that has limited us is tested at the Shaolin Temple in China. And I think that people, I see people criticizing them and saying, Oh, you know, you're too extreme. But what is extreme for one person might be just the other person finding that there are no boundaries, they're they're limitless beings, and that our bodies are actually beings of light, and that's all it is. So we can do anything with it. 
do you have a religion and have maybe your beliefs change throughout the course of your life? Uh, I think you talked about this on the Pino podcast, but you know, people that might say I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. What do you, what do you say to those people? And what is spirituality? Thanks for asking that question because every single living being is spiritual to say I'm spiritual is just the ego talking. you, You cannot help it. Everything we do, the person who is murdering somebody right now is very spiritual they might the the act that they're they're actually partaking in might not seem to be something that is very acceptable to us, but for the, that person on their way to their own attainment of their own nirvana, they have to go through so many things in their own lives to get to a certain place within themselves, and so it's it's interesting because we forget that when we harm somebody, we are harming ourselves, and I think harm is done instead of self-harm. So we can either implode or we can explode. So we can either harm ourselves or harm somebody else. And that is because we just have lost our sense of who we are. And it's like I said, we all live off of each other. The fact that I might have a parasite within me that is killing me is no different from a parasite that's that another form of parasite that's in within me that's actually enhancing my own life and so we just have to differentiate between what is harmful to us and what is not and that needs to keep shifting we need to stick to and that's where consciousness comes in when you we live with us you know constantly pushing the level of consciousness then that suddenly becomes it, it, it's in place of trying to find a God because we can blame a God. We can demand, make demands from a God, but we're trusting we don't make the same demands of ourselves and we don't take the same responsibility for our own actions and our own thoughts and belief systems. Well, talk about your belief systems. Have they changed? Have they evolved? Uh, have they changed drastically, you know, throughout your life? I like your perspective of reality. Uh, I like, you know, the way that you kind of talk about the universe and how you understand it and how we kind of fit in. So I'd love to hear it. Um, you know, maybe again, how has your religious views changed? If you've ever had religious um, views uh, and just kind of your belief systems about reality, about life, about the universe, have they changed a lot throughout the course of your life? Or have you always kind of been on this kind of wavelength, uh, always kind of believe these, you know, kind of things that you're, you've been talking about tonight? I think as a child, I was much more connected to that. I think as a child, I was much more in tune with the rhythms of the universe. And then I went to school. And I had adults around me telling me that there are certain things I had to do. And even when I resisted them, and I did and resist, I did a lot. I was told, you're just a child, don't know anything. I think children are us in our purest form. I agree. And in, our, yep. and in our most empowered selves, and in our most empowered self, which is why every two-year-old, what do they do? They resist. They resist when we're trying to force them and to actually merge them into ourselves. I'm an anarchist, so that's awesome. I, I love that. We're all inner anarchists. You know, we always want to resist authority. We all want to push back. We all want to, um, you know, 
kind of, uh, you know, we, we wanted to go our own way, and we don't like being told by an authority figure uh, what to do or what to think. So I totally get that. And I also believe that, like, hate, uh, bigotry, that type of stuff, like, you don't have that in your purest form when you're a child. That's something that's kind of learned, and uh, maybe you get indoctrinated. That's actually what... Uh, the educational system, which I find interesting, um, those in power, uh, if we want to go to the Trilateral Commission, uh, they refer to the educational system here in the United States as the institutions responsible for the indoctrination of the youth. So as an inner anarchist, I, that totally appeals to me. I think, again, we are all inner anarchists. And I think, um, yeah, children are, you know, humans in the, in the purest form. I like that idea. And 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 the most power and therefore they're the most powerful. That's when they're the most powerful, was children. So, I purposely did not bring children into the world because I didn't think I was capable of honoring them to the degree that they need to be honored. Let's go to nirvana. That's an interesting term. I like that term. Perhaps you could define it for us. I like thinking about it. What is nirvana? <laughs> I don't agree with nirvana. I think. Nirvana is something that we seek and we cannot seek anything because everything already there is there inside of us. So when we start thinking about nirvana, or it's, then we start seeking it outside of ourselves. And so I don't agree with that term nirvana. When I was in India, we went to this tree where, where supposedly the Buddha achieved enlightenment. And I remember looking at the tree and saying... Interesting that he went under, he was traveling so much and he did so much to try to achieve enlightenment and only under this tree, when he finally sat down under a tree, did it happen. And again, I thought, there we go again, the trees again. You know, it, it's, and look at Newton, you know, the apple falling from the tree. You know, it's, it's always, people always get this, this, this aha moment, it seems when they're under a tree or with a tree or in the woods or in the forest. And so that is why I think that trees, that's why they're my mentors. Trees and birds are my mentors. Birds, because birds are so in tune with the rhythm of the universe. I actually go to bed with the birds because I wake up with them. And when I don't, that's exactly when I start having problems. I actually watched this uh, quantum physics documentary and a lot of the seasonal migration of the birds. They tried to discuss that and how it's similar to the um, phenomenon quantum entanglement. You know, two electrons in different parts of the universe spread out can communicate with one another, even though they might be light years apart. So uh, I'm no quantum physicist, but I do, did find that uh, very intriguing uh, the idea of quantum entanglement, the birds, their connection to the universe, seasonal migrations, and maybe just the whole cyclical cycle and seasonal cycle of everything. Yes, and I think we're meant to live life cyclically. I think we're meant to embrace the cycle of life and live that way, and yet we do not. And no wonder we have so many problems. We do not eat according to the seasons. We do not sleep according to the seasons. You know... When it gets dark, except for the night creatures, everything else goes immediately into hibernation, into bed, or into their nest, or wherever. We 
we actually create artificial lights to force ourselves to stay up and so that we can go to places. But it's interesting, we don't have the eyes of an owl. You know, the, the, the night creatures have different eyes than we do so that they can roam about and still go about. We don't have it. And like the other creatures that don't have it, we, I think we, the, our problem is that we're not honoring that so that we don't say, oh, well, when I go outside, it's too dark. I can't see. I better go to bed and rest like everything else is doing, except for the creatures who have the incredible eyesight that they can roam about in the dark. So we build these cities with so much, so much light pollution. There is light pollution that's really, we are suffering from it, and so are the animals and the birds. I want to go back to Nirvana a little bit. Um, Not the rock band, of course, the idea. Uh, I think of it as uh, just existing, like no passions. Um, You know, you're just content. You just exist, and I think that's okay. Like, I don't think we necessarily have to have, like, motivations, desires, self-interest, greed. I think... A lot of the the problems in society are the result of capitalism. That's, I think, my biggest enemy. But I love the idea of just existing, just being content, you know, uh, at peace. Uh, so I find it interesting. Uh, maybe you don't like the idea of nirvana, but this also came to mind uh, was I, as I was thinking about nirvana. You know, can you control your thoughts? Do your thoughts control you? Can you just kind of coexist? Uh, just kind of, I guess when I think about like meditation, you know, you're just kind of like lost in thought, you know, are you even thinking about anything? Like, can you actually have a blank slate where you're just completely just in tune? You're just existing. You're not thinking about anything. You're not doing anything. You're just there, you know, I just find it interesting. So what do you think about Nirvana, your thoughts controlling you? Can you control your thoughts? Uh, just existing. I think controlling our thoughts is one of the most insidious ways that we actually lose ourselves. So in med- when I teach meditation, I do not teach people to control their thoughts. It's become one with the thoughts. Just be aware. It's just about consciousness, just being aware that those thoughts exist. Not doing anything about them. Don't judge them. Don't name them. Don't try to control them. And it's interesting, the only way that one actually comes to that space where of non-existence, of just being okay, you said you said being at peace is when you don't try to control your thoughts. But boy, when you try to control your thoughts, whoa, it's like, you know, letting the monkey loose, the monkey mind loose. So yes, I, I agree with you that there is a place within us which is very peaceful and that's, you know, there's a deep peace and inner merging of self with all with all, all consciousness and that is only experienced when we let go of the intellect i think one of the problems that we have taken the intellect and made it this god goddess made it the high mountain that we're meant and we celebrate people with high intellect and yet, uh, when we have a high intellect, we, int- we tend to suffer even more. Rather than just allowing the body to be our guide and going according to, which means that it, our bodies are part of nature. And so living according to the laws of nature by listening to the body. When we're sleepy, we're meant to sleep. 
it's interesting because I think it was Einstein, no, no, not Einstein. It was, um, oh, he invented electricity. Edison. Edison and Tesla. Edison. Okay. Yeah, I think it was Edison. It was Edison who said, uh, who, who went to sleep whenever he wanted to sleep. Oh, and yeah. He, he, I read his biography. He yeah, he just kind of laid down right in the ground. If he was out at the park, he'd just lay lay, the, uh, lay down under a bench. Or if he was at the office, he'd just go in the corner. Yeah, anytime he got tired, he would he would be up for 16, 18 hours. And then whenever he got tired, he just slept for, you know, half hour, 45 minutes, get up and start working again. Yeah, he was a he lived an interesting life. Definitely non-conventional sleeping patterns, though, for sure. Yeah, he just slept whenever he needed to. He didn't care what where he was what was going on he just slept most of us we forced ourselves to stay up to finish the book watch the finish the tv show be with our friends be with our family rather than just you know just be like the birds time to sleep goodbye (laughs) (laughs) my friends know not to invite me out up when it when it you know after it's dark when i was a teenager i remember my teenage friend saying to me you're too old you're not a teenager. You're really old. You go to bed as soon as it gets dark. What's wrong with you? So they, they wanted me at their parties. They knew not to start the party when it got dark because it starts, as soon as it gets dark, I'm gone. Yeah. And so, so and, and, and we, I was a, a dancer and we, most of our performances were in the evening. I did not like that at all. And I was thought if I were dancing, you know, when it was still daylight, it would be a whole different experience of me, of me dancing and of the audience as well. And it's amazing how people will actually not embrace that idea of sleeping when you need to sleep. But that's what babies do. Again, we, you and I spoke about that we are our most powerful, our most clean, pure self when we're babies. That's what they do, and that's what children do. A child will be playing with a toy, and all of a sudden, he, the person is, and he or she's asleep in the middle of playing with a toy. We don't do that, you know. It's 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 very interesting. Then we drive so, such long hours, driving and driving and driving at night. We have truck drivers who drive late at night for such long amount of time. And then we wonder why they get the illnesses they do, whether, and then we tend to divide things. You know, we say mental illness, physical, it's all the same. It's all the same emotionally. It's all the same. It all goes back to the body, the biology again. We need to respect our biology and we need to honor it. And more than that, we need to celebrate it. What do you think can be accomplished um, meditation? what's, What's the purpose of meditation? I think it all seems to start with the breath. And then um, I want to throw some dreaming in there, too. Um, you talked about sleeping patterns. Do you think uh, dreams, do they provide a service uh, as well? I think that they are kind of our brain's um, ability to kind of, you know, at the end of the night, reprogram itself, get rid of the stuff that doesn't matter. We forget about, you know, maybe what we had uh, for breakfast yesterday or where we parked the car earlier this morning that's completely irrelevant for the future of ourselves. Um, so yeah, maybe meditation, the breath, and what do you think about dreams? Uh, Carl Jung liked dreams a lot. I don't find them all that, my dreams at least, all that enlightening. Uh, I don't really remember them too often. Um, do you think that a lot of, a lot of psychologists, uh, maybe Freud, Jung definitely liked the idea of dreams and maybe, um, you know, what, what kind of, um, 
I guess, what what service they provide, you know, or how they maybe help us understand the reality. So do you think that the dreams uh, are important to be studied or can we learn something from dreams or are they just kind of something that happens uh, when our body's kind of reprogramming itself and uh, they're most, for the most part, meaningless? So um, see when I was in Australia, well, the first time I was in Australia anyway, I studied a lot and learned a lot about the dreaming which, which is what the Aborigines believe. So they believe that this is a dream, or lives. This is, this is the real dream. And, that, and so they call it the dreaming, that we, we, we come into the dream, and then we actually believe it, <laughs> that it's real. And then we base a lot of reality on, on it. And, you know, people talk about uh, the big burst and the big bang, they call it the, the dreaming, the dreaming. We're just dreaming all the time. And so this is not anything real at all, which really made a lot of sense to me. And more than that, I really connected with it, that this is just one all big dream. And if we just didn't take it so seriously and that we work out a lot of things when we dream and especially we detox, I think, when we dream because there's a bigger dream, which is what we call life. And it's preparing us for that. That's what Descartes said, the father of modern philosophy. How do we know this is not a big dream right now? And that's that's the whole, I think, the whole premise. We don't. No, we don't. No, we don't at all. And 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 it's it's interesting because I have an idea that if we accepted the fact that this is just a dream, we would all choose to make different choices yes yes we would i agree with you why don't we you know how do we, if, if we can't tell the difference between a dream and reality why don't we make different choices what's holding us back education ah i like it i like it let's go to um let's maybe do some education stuff we're kind of getting the last 28 minutes or so we got to do this again this has been great i really appreciate your time sorry about whatever happened what three weeks ago i think we got our dates mixed up and i got a cold and blah 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 but i'm glad, glad we got the opportunity to connect again but got about maybe 20 minutes or so what do you what's the idea of meditation what benefit does it serve and why does it all seem to start with the breath so meditation actually doesn't have to start with the breath. It, it starts actually by you just being aware. It's, again, just raising a level of consciousness that you exist, whether you exist in the real world or in a dream, but just that you exist just by sitting still. It's stillness. It starts with stillness. That's what meditation starts with. It always is about stillness and about silence. To me and for me, silence is when I become the most powerful is in silence. I used to hold retreats where I would take people on silent retreats. And MC, I cannot begin to tell you the response of the attendees. I mean, it was, some people were just berserk. They went berserk. They couldn't stand all that silence. And yet there is no real silence, you know? Yeah. It, yeah. Because, you know, I had, the, we, we went always went away. There's a place outside of Montreal that, and there's also a place outside of Northern California where I would take them. And the, we live in a very noisy universe. There's a lot of noise going on. When you start embracing silence, you begin to realize the amount of noise there is. 
And so to me, meditation starts with embracing silence and stillness. And I think when we embrace silence and stillness, we begin to find the truth of who we are, which is that we're just a ball of energy rolling here, probably most likely in a dream, and that nothing is permanent. The idea of impermanence is so important to me and has helped me to overcome some pain, a lot of pain, when I realize that nothing is permanent. If we begin to realize that we live in an impermanent world, we see things differently, we begin to perceive ourselves differently. What do you think about the idea of energy states? And I'm going to maybe go back to the the idea of the universe here. Um, is it cyclical, seasonal, repeats itself? Um or maybe more with a traditional thought of Western philosophy, a linear universe uh, with a beginning and an end, and maybe just the energy states change from very small to, at the end, very small, and in between, <laughs> I don't know, you know, kind of this organized matter that provides this opportunity for us to kind of connect with one another. Uh, I think the organized was, a, at least with if you believe the Big Bang Theory, just some kind of ginormous, uh, high-energy plasmic blob um, and then, you know, kind of, you know, we have the solar systems and the stars and the different galaxies and all these amazing things in our, in our universe. And then at the end, um, if you believe like the big rip, uh, it's going to be like very cold, very dead, very dark. So that's kind of the Western philosophical view or the scientific view, the physicists way of, um, you know, trying to discuss, uh, the universe more of like a beginning and an end in a linear uh, pattern, but uh, I think more of the Eastern philosophy stuff is, you know, cyclical, it repeats, it's eternal, it's infinite, um, uh, and maybe just kind of energy states, how do they kind of play into all this? I guess, um, is it the is it the law of thermodynamics? Uh, energy cannot be created nor destroyed or something along those lines? I'm no physicist here, but I'm just throwing out the idea. I think that's about right. Cyclical, because in this dream, we all experience the cycles. So women experience cycles very strongly. Uh, the moon has its own cycle. It's, it's interesting that the, 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 the uh, sea, the oceans, are ruled by the cycles. We are ruled by the cycles. Women's bodies are ruled by cycles. It's all cyclic. And if you go to every single, study every single uh, indigenous community, they're always making circles. They're always doing things in drawing circles and doing things in circles. All, all primitive dance is in circle. If you look at all primitive dance, it's always in circles. So, and when children start playing it's re- or drawing, it's very interesting. The first thing that most children draw is a circle when, when they have the ability to draw. So I think everything, yes, is, in, is cyclical. Yes. And the fact that we're not living it that way, we're, we're, we're going against the cycles of our bodies, and, uh, which sim- is, is simply uh, another aspect of the universe. That's why we're in so much pain and we have so many problems. What about life, death, energy states? Um, what happens after we die or do we ever die? Do we never die? Uh, eternal consciousness? What about all that stuff? We only die to ourselves. But since energy is only transformed, then we just go back into the next cycle. 
of another transformation again. So I, I, I told you at the beginning that I, three times I almost died, really came close to it. In fact, once they, th- uh, they, they thought I was already dead. But, well, but it's interesting because it's all a cycle. And that's why I'm not afraid of death or dying because it's so, you know, there's a book, uh, the Tibetan book of the living and the dying, really important book, extremely important book. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross also wrote a book of the living and the dead, very important books. And I think most of us think that we can postpone this cycle of birthing and dying because there really is no death. Think about it. When we are born into the physical world, we have to die to the spiritual world in order to come here. In order, when we die to the physical world, we're reborn back in the spiritual world. It's just the cycle that just keeps repeating itself. You can see that with plants, especially, you know, and with trees. They just keep growing and then they, it looks like they're dead. And then all of a sudden out of what looked like dead wood from the tree, all of a sudden new life is reborn again. It just keeps replenishing itself. If left alone, look at the soil. The soil replenishes itself every seven years if left alone. We do not put DDT in there and radon and, you know, we don't genetically modify and put all of these fertilizers and whatnot in there. It just recycles itself and recycling, it seems to be the way that life really expresses itself. So what do you think happens after maybe your body dies? I mean, does the mind die? What what, what do you think happens when the lights turn out for the last time, maybe the last time you make Maybe the last time you're conscious and maybe the last time you can kind of communicate um, with your family, at least in the physical sense, talking to them. But um, I guess maybe after death, per se, you can continue to kind of communicate them, maybe with the blowing breeze or something along those lines. And I guess the idea of reincarnation, what about those things? Those those things sound uh, interesting to you? Do you think that that, what do you think happens exactly when the lights turn out, if you will? I don't give much credence to the mind at all, but I do to the body, to the physical form, to the biology. And I think the fact that you, I like the fact you mentioned the blowing breeze. I think that's all we are, which is blowing in the wind. You know, So the wind blows us over here once and it blows us over here next. It looks like we died because we're not over here right now, but we're over there now. And so I like that you use that word, blowing in the wind. I think that's really that song by uh, Bob Dylan. Uh, yeah, in the wind yeah, yeah. ought to be our anthem, ought to be the anthem for our okay. lives. What about the universe? You said that maybe human beings, our potential is uh, limitless. So what about the universe? What can we understand about it? What can we know about it? Can we know everything? What What is known? <laughs> what can be known? And what are our limitations? Do we have any? Because I don't give much credence to the mind, I don't think that knowing is important. I think experiencing is what's important. I think we're only here to experience things, not to know anything. I think we know nothing. And we're not meant to know anything. We're meant to experience. That's what's important in our lives is the experience. And we just keep re-experiencing ourselves cyclically, different formations of ourselves, different aspects, different transformations. And it's, it's like a dance. It's a game. Again, the games that we play, you know, it's, it's just the games that we're here playing. I, th- I think, you know, when, we, when we're, we've, we have a body, we've won the, lot, the lottery. 
because it's through the body that we experience life. It's through the biology. And that's why it's really interesting because as a teenager, my favorite subject was biology. I couldn't get enough of it. And now I understand why. It's interesting because a child will hurt itself, will hurt himself or herself, and then they will not cry. But they only will cry if the birth, if we, the adults, oh, my gosh, what happened? Oh, no, you poor thing. You know, it will not cry. It, it yeah. knows it's just having a different experience of its biology. That's all it is. You had a hot take on the Pino podcast. Do not resuscitate. So you don't think that people should be resuscitated and you don't want to be resuscitated if maybe, uh, you know, you fall victim to d- disease or sickness or, I don't know, life event injury, sorts, those sorts of things. So you had a hot take. Do not resuscitate. What do you think about it? I think that each person needs to make up their mind for themselves. But if you do not wish to be resuscitated, you won't be anyway. <laughs> the body will do what the body knows to do. And it knows how to let go of this realm and recreate itself. Well, we've got a few more minutes here. Uh, let's talk about meaning of life. Why, why do you think we're all here? Um, what do you think we should do with maybe our time, at least in this physical state? Uh, what's the meaning of life? What's our purpose? Um, what's it all about? I think we need to embrace every single experience. Do not reject anything. Do not reject yourself. Do not reject anyone else. It's the rejection that causes all the heartache and all the pain. When we accept ourselves, and our, we, that, that's when we accept our experiences. Once we accept our experiences here, we begin to accept ourselves and begin to realize that the self doesn't even exist. Just the experiences exist. And so it's interesting because one of my sisters told me a few years ago, I don't want these gifts anymore. I don't want anybody to buy me a gift. All I want are experiences. Oh, did that never, ever, ever mean everything to me. My heart just soared and opened up when she said that. She says, I no longer want things. I just want experiences. I don't want to spend money on things. Unless I absolutely have to, I just want to spend money on experiences. And I think that's really the truth of why we're here, is to experience everything. And it's our rejection of each and every experience that causes the turmoil and the self-hatred and the lack of compassion for self. Is there any experiences uh, that you are looking forward to uh, during your time here? Is there anything that you haven't done that you want to do? Uh, Or, you know, anything, you know, motivations, passions, pursuits, things you want to accomplish, anything like that? Yes, I'd love to live in Japan. I definitely intend to live in Japan and embrace that way of living, which is what we call Zen. I, if I were male, I would love to go to the Shaolin Temple in China, but Right now, Japan does it for me. I'd like to be able to accept and live with nature and according to the laws of nature and all the cycles. And that, to me, is what Japan represents. It's amazing that in the middle of their news report, they will stop the news and they will then just bring up a photograph of of a tree blossoming or of an autumn tree or of the winter scene. 
that they so live with nature and according to the laws of nature, I would like very much to live in a place where that is not, where that is the standard and not just for a few. Dorit, it's been fascinating. Uh, the stage is yours. Anything you want to promote, anything you want to plug, any projects you are working on, where can people find you? We got about uh, two minutes or so. Go right ahead. So if any, if this really resonates with anyone and they would like to explore this in their own life, I would suggest, first of all, doing a major detox of the body. We cannot move on in our lives with when our body is clogged up and we are we are dehydrated. And if anybody wants to know exactly how to do that, I have certain books. You can go into Amazon.com. There's a book called 10 Harmful Myths That Prevent Us From Healing and Experiencing uh, Real Health and Well-Being. It's an e-book on purpose. That's my latest book. I have other books. I have recipe books. But if anybody, I, I just started launched a course which helps people to actually start exploring this part of themselves. It's a course called Your Life Reimagined. And uh, they can find it on my website, which is theoncookingshow.com, because I do not cook. I'm a chef that doesn't cook. And one of the things that I would invite them to do is really to explore their inner dimension by letting go of every single belief system they have. Dory, it was a pleasure. I'd love to catch up again sometime. I really appreciate it. Uh, it was a great discussion, and I learned a lot tonight. I uh, appreciate it again. Let's stay in touch, and maybe we'll do it again in the future. Thanks, and I want to really take a moment to thank you for what you do. I think it's really important, and I see that you've actually done, you do it You know, after you've been working all day, and you, it, it's may you if this is what you wish to do one day be paid for this enough so you, this is all you'll, if this is what your wish is for yourself because I think it's so important thank you thank you <laughs> so so kind I think it would be pretty cool I'm all about knowledge I'm a I'm a student of philosophy I just want to expand my mind uh, you know body I need to <laughs> acquire money to kind of have this lifestyle but uh, the mind is where I'm at. Uh, and, uh, but I think it's all connected, like you were saying. But anyways, thanks for the kind words. I want to expand my mind, my body, my understanding, and you helped me do that tonight. Dorit, thanks so much. Have a great night. Thank you for the blessing you are. Bye now. Thank you for listening to Necessary Illusions. also want to thank my special guest, Dorit, of The Uncooking Show, She's also an author and a content creator. Please check out some of her works. Again, I am your host, MC Squared. No gods, no masters. I'm out.